the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And welcome back live, coming to you live from the uh, Guns Etc. studios. Um, it is Friday, January 21st, as we head into our third hour here. We actually had a caller mm, somewhere around a year ago who made this point that uh, John Gizzi makes uh, over at Newsmax. Uh, John Gizzi. If you watched the Trump uh, press conferences, you would have seen him. He was there. He often got to ask a question. He's a veteran uh, political uh, reporter. I knew him a little bit in Washington. He's kind of one of the adults in the room, if you will, kind of that older age, the, the, the people that, you know, covered Kennedy, covered Goldwater, covered Johnson, covered Nixon, you know, the kind who were, um, you know, of a different era. Still around, God bless him. And he wrote this up today, and it's so darn good. And yes, it won't be the first time you heard the thesis on this show, but because we did have a caller making a similar point about a year or so ago, but uh, perhaps with not quite as much um, detail. As far as farewell addresses by U.S. presidents go, Dwight D. Eisenhower's address to the nation on the eve of his leaving the White House in 1961 is on par probably with that of George Washington. 61 years later, I mean, every student is taught this in high school or used to be what Eisenhower said in his farewell address. 61 years later, people of all political persuasions are still quoting Ike's storied admonition that in the quote, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought by the military-industrial complex, close quote. That's, by the way, why I use the phrase crisis-industrial complex. It's a play on that, or it's a take on that, not a play, a take. Less remembered was Dwight Eisenhower's warning in the same speech to be alert, quote, that public policy itself could become the captive of a scientific technological elite, close quote. Declared Eisenhower, the prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present. Close quote. Today, Eisenhower's parting words about the elites of science and technology still resonate. Could he perhaps have foreseen a Dr. Anthony Fauci and the tremendous influence he wields or possibly the coming of heavy-handed technological goliaths such as Google, YouTube, and TikTok? Quote, Dwight Eisenhower dealt with the polio problem and a flu pandemic the H2N2 virus known as the Asian flu, but they do not figure 
at all in his farewell speech. Who said that? Let me close quote. Dwight Eisenhower dealt with the polio problem in a flu pandemic, but they do not figure in his farewell speech, close quote. Who said that? Someone who knows things about Dwight Eisenhower, University of Pennsylvania professor David Eisenhower. But his warnings, Eisenhower, David Eisenhower said, probably apply to the COVID crisis today, especially the broader warning about the scientific technological elite which I think is as interesting as and encapsulates his oft-quoted warning about the military-industrial complex, close quote. Okay, we got a few people thinking this way now. This is good. It's not just a military-industrial complex. It's a crisis-industrial complex. David Eisenhower noted in the past year he has, quote, made a point of quoting that very passage in different contexts as a way of suggesting politely that the COVID-19 policy has been showing signs of being captive of a technological elite invoking the same challenges of citizenship, close quote. Referring to the growing questions raised about the response of the government to COVID, he concluded that Americans are beginning to respond in the vaguely defined manner my grandfather envisioned when he observed that liberty and security prospering together required an alert and knowledgeable citizenry ready to compel the proper meshing of technical and political factors. Historian Greg, uh, sorry, historian Craig Shirley, who has written biographies on Ronald Reagan as well as Newt Gingrich, was blunter in his assessment of the warning about the scientific technological elite. He wrote, quote, I think President Eisenhower could see someone like Fauci coming because power is dangerous in the hands of anyone and especially someone without conscious conscience or morality who pretends to be looking out for the good of all when in fact they are only looking out for the good of a few. Shirley said that like his warning against the military-industrial complex, Eisenhower's words about the scientific te- technological elite captured the nature of bigness. Our enemy is bigness. Big government, big corporations, big science, big education, big media, big technology. They are all the real threats to culture and freedom and humanity. We live in a cocoon of technology, And technology has its own imperatives, Llewellyn King, a nationally syndicated columnist, wrote. Overall, technology has improved our lives since Eisenhower's declaration. My own sense, and I think Ike would agree with this, though, is that malice often commands technology, at least when it first launched on the world, and things right themselves in time. We got used to the printing press. I don't know if we'll get used to TikTok. The new and worrying dimension is that technology creates its own instant monopoly, as with Facebook, Google, Twitter, etc. The challenge today, the challenge probably foreseen by Ike, is the challenge of monopoly in the world of the common carriers. Think about that for a moment, the challenge of monopoly. The challenge of the monopoly on truth. Think about that, that monopoly on truth. I was talking about this yesterday in my uh, in my monologue about the statement from New Zealand prime minister remember the statement from the prime minister of New Zealand the government will be your single source of truth and a story I have seen reported almost nowhere Joe Biden last week Speaking to broadcast and social media companies, quote, I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. 
Please deal with disinformation and misinformation that's on your shows. Wasn't it Joe Biden who was telling us in his inauguration that we shouldn't make enemies of people who get their news from different sources? Boy, did that change quickly in a year. Boy, did that change quickly in a year. I think it's obvious that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think it's obvious. But I think it's also obvious that we're dealing with what philosophers call insufficient alternatives. Insufficient alternatives. I was complaining yesterday that there were books and reams of articles, reams and reams of articles about invoking the 25th Amendment. Even Andrew McCabe, the number two at the FBI, as early as 2018, was saying this discussion of the 25th Amendment to get rid of Donald Trump. And reams of, book about his, reams of books about, the 20, about his mental fitness as well. One book had something like 17 psychologists and psychiatrists diagnosing Donald Trump as unfit to be the president of the United States. Where's all that talk? Where's all that concern? Where's all that clinical expertise right now? Where's that talk of the 25th Amendment? Be careful, obsta principis. This is why I say philosophers speak of insufficient choices, insufficient alternatives. I don't know if it's better to have Joe Biden or Kamala Harris president. They both seem to have the same amount of competence, except one of them has more drive, and it's not the president. One of them has more initiative, and it's not the president. So there was talk, you may recall, about mm, two months ago when Kamala Harris was failing on all the projects she'd been handed what do, you, what do you do with a problem like Kamala, really a problem like the vice president, if you're trying to get rid of them and save their honor? Where, where do you put them if not in the presidency? Ah, the Supreme Court. Well, that requires something. One of two things. A resi- well, one of three things. A resignation or death or an expansion of the court, which they also tried. We're breaking norms. They're trying to pack the court, but we're breaking norms. They're trying to federalize elections, but we're breaking norms. They're trying to tell you the 2022 election will be illegitimate unless we pass their legislation. Must mean that every election till now has been. But we're the ones who are engaged in big lies. Or is it big's lie in that case? All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Yeah, I, I, I kind of spoke around it a little bit and talked about the political um, homicidal ideation and uh, schadenfreude that was going on in social media over Meatloaf's death because he was um, unvaccinated, also 74 and obese with other comorbidities, heart problem and a lung problem. Uh, but let me say something about losing these cultural icons i um all the music that i love i think i was just a little slow in coming to it so i'm 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 pretty good at knowing a lot about music from the 70s and 80s most of which i learned about about a decade after they were au courant 
<laughs> okay? I, I played catch-up. I learned about it late in life. I was a student in England, a college student for a year, and um, I was with some buddies uh, at a pool hall. I remember it distinctly. And uh, we had a Friday afternoon off and went to a pub and played some pool. And um, I heard this voice. I heard this song coming from, uh, I guess they called it a jukebox. I guess that's what it would have been. And it, it, and I just, I, I, I kind of... Kind of had that that quick turn of turn of the eye. Hark! What voices that I hear, as 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 is said in Macbeth. And I I said to to my friend Paul, who I was shooting pool with, who's that? He said, Oh, that's Meatloaf. Two out of three ain't bad. That's a heck of a voice. I'd never heard it before. I'd never heard any of his music before. I guess because I was so concentrated on jazz. And instrumental music in those days, maybe I don't know. I just had not heard it, and I went out and bought the album. It was a funny thing. Meatloaf was always—I don't know about always, but certainly in the last twenty, thirty years, more popular in Europe than he was here in the United States. And uh, I went out and bought uh, bought the uh, "Bad Out of Hell" album, and I just played it over and over and over again. That voice, those lyrics. You've heard me say, I guess somewhat controversially based on the calls we've taken when I've said it, that I don't know of any man over the age of 50 who didn't at least once get ready for a date as he was dressing or primping himself or getting out of the shower listening to a Frank Sinatra song. You know, I've never met that man. I have since because a few of them have called in saying, Seth, I'm over 50 and I never got ready for a date listening to Frank Sinatra. But I think those are outliers. I think those are outliers. I think I'm right. Most men, I think, over the age of 50 at one time, at least once or another. I don't know anyone who went through a breakup who didn't play over and over again a meatloaf song. Usually two out of three ain't bad or... Maybe I would do anything for love. But two out of three ain't bad is probably considered one of the greatest breakup songs of all time. But anything from his body of work off that album or off his comeback album, which was 1994-ish, 394, Bad Out of Hell 2, that voice was like the voice of an opera singer. And it couldn't last. There are very few voices taxed that hard that can last that long. I don't know of anyone who's kept a voice at that range going. Maybe the maybe ACDC. Maybe, maybe, maybe they've been able to do it. So I saw Meatloaf live a couple of times and two times and once here and once at uh, – once at that outdoor venue in, in Virginia, I'm blanking on the name of it. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But, and the voice was gone. The voice wasn't there. The music was there, but the voice wasn't. And then I, I, I thought back about what an impact this man had in culture, not just music, but entertainment. He made his, he made his way on the scene in a big national and international way with being the character of Eddie 
in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he tells the story of how he got that gig. The song, Whatever Happened to Saturday Night, sometimes known as Hot Patootie Saturday Night. If you listen to the lyrics or read them, it's a lot of lyrics <laughs> in each bar of music. And the people they had auditioning for it couldn't quite get it. And someone on the set said, I know this guy down the street playing in the production of Hair. Hair was a big musical at the time as well. I think he can do it. They brought the music over to uh, A-Day, his real name, and they said, can you sing this? He said, I can do that. And he did, and the rest became history. His work with Jim Steinman, though, of course, the stuff they did together would have been on par with the kind of work Sinatra did with, I don't know, Nelson Riddle or the kind of work that Glenn Campbell did with his collaborators. It was a it was a beautiful marriage of lyrics and music and performance. And he had he had quite a career and he didn't always win. But that album is still one of the top ten best selling albums of all time. And he had a lot of stories to tell. He unwittingly gave unwittingly gave a ride to a to a um to a uh, to a pedestrian who was uh you know walking down the street one day and um a hitchhiker and later found out that man was Charles Manson so we almost didn't have meatloaf in a way we almost didn't have meatloaf as we almost didn't have Brian Wilson by the way Brian Wilson got caught up in that for a while too but anyway that voice um those lyrics what he did with it and it wasn't about any kind of great image. It was just about living in that music. He said, I never, had to, I never had to get ready for a performance. I was those lyrics. I was that song. And if you did ever watch a video of his, you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it. He was on, a, uh, on an episode of one of these music competitions, uh, America's Got Talent, but it wasn't that one. It was one of those others that was exclusively singing, whoever it was with Catherine McPhee whatever that one was, and he did a duet with her. And she said, I was a little surprised when he came out for the um, for the practice, you know, for the trial run, because he came out with everything in it. You know, it wasn't just kind of a relaxed, casual, shall we do this, shall we do that? He came out ready for bear. He always did. And, uh, yeah, the voice wore out, and uh, finally his heart wore out. And it's just kind of sad, you know, you think about these uh, pieces of music that take you back to a certain part of your life and a certain part of your youth, and you realize that's over, and time marches on. But long live that music, and God bless that voice, the likes of which uh, we just won't see again. So, uh, Meatloaf, you too played your concert well. Rest in peace. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Hinderocker writes, The apocalypse is here. The Transportation Security Administration, the TSA, disclosed to a congressional office that illegal immigrants flying without proper identification can use an arrest warrant as an alternative form of identification when presenting to airport security. 
responding to Republican Texas Representative Lance Gooden's December 15th inquiry about illegal migrants flying across the country, TSA Administrator David Pikoski explained that certain Department of Homeland Security documents may be considered acceptable forms of alternative identification for non-citizens, including, quote, warrant for arrest of an alien and a warrant or removal, a warrant of removal and deportation, close quote. So John writes, here's a guy who doesn't have any identification, no way to show who he actually is, except wait for it. His arrest or deportation has been ordered and he is carrying the order around with him. That's good enough to be transported around the U.S., presumably from a border area to any state where the feds may seek to place illegal aliens. The Biden administration has turned our immigration laws into a bad joke and has grossly undermined our national security. It is harder. It is hard to imagine a clearer violation of the take care clause of Article two. And in my opinion, such dereliction of duty constitutes good grounds for impeachment. I'm just I'm just surprised. That the TSA is under Joe Biden mandating that you have to show any proof of identification to get on an airplane. You don't have to, according to this administration, in order to vote. Should we be concerned about this? People always say we're exaggerating the problem. Are we? Are we? It's hard to know when the press is not making a bigger deal of what just took place in New York City about two weeks ago with the passage of a law that will allow non-citizen aliens to vote in local elections. What stops what stops that from becoming the desiderata of the Democrats generally and in federal elections? What stops that? Ah, an amendment to the Constitution, you may say. Sure, sure. How well has those amendments to the Constitution, never mind all the other statements of the Constitution, how well has that served as a bulwark, as a stopgap to other predations of the constitutional order, the constitutional consensus, or that which we thought was constitutional. Think about it in regard to the First Amendment. Think about it in regard to the Second Amendment. Think about it in regard to the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. Think about it in regard to the Commerce Clause. Think about it in regard to the Impeachment Clause. Think about it in regard to almost everything having to do with the 14th Amendment. I can see why the media wouldn't want to make a big deal of it. I saw Eric Adams, the mayor, only do one interview on it. Not more. Not more. And then the story just went away. Used to be we looked to New York City for how they were handling things so that we could take those successes, and extrapolate from them and make them national. You think about what they did in fighting crime, what they used to do in fighting crime under two mayors and three different police chiefs, and how they cut it in half, in half, Comstat and broken windows theories policing. How many Democrats you think are looking at what New York City did with giving the right to vote 
to non-citizen aliens in this country. Do you remember Eric Adams, the mayor of New York's justification for this? Over 40 percent of people in Queens don't speak English, he said. Queens or Brooklyn, I don't remember. Sorry, I don't remember which bureau, but he said over 40 percent in X bureau don't speak English. So what does that have to do with giving them the right to vote? What does that have to do with it? The ballots are already printed in other languages. It's just a concession to not learning how to be an American or to be an American or to value being an American. Something people used to put a pretty big value on. I guess if you live in a state where the erstwhile governor says America was never that great, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. I'll be right back. I um welcome back. I keep a uh I I I I keep a television uh monitor on just to make sure I don't miss any any breaking crucial or critical breaking news. And one of the things I can't help but notice is how many anti-Kirsten cinema ads are being run right now. Boy, they must be flush with money. She's not up for election any time or re-election anytime soon. They must be flush with money. Those Mercedes Marxists, they really must be. Those ads are not cheap to produce or air, and they're saturating, saturating local and cable television. And it prompted me to do something I didn't really want to do. I just, for whatever reason, life is short and time is pressing and there's so many demands. But I, this morning brought myself to do it and it was to watch the speech on the Senate floor Kirsten Cinema gave about a week ago or so 20 minute speech she gave on why she was not going to vote to blow up the filibuster and it's not the speech I would have written and that's okay but it is a very very calm speech and a soothing speech talking about division in America and the problem we have with partisanship in America. I have different views than she does about this. Let me not be counted as one bowing into the altar that we need more bipartisanship and more acquiescence. I'm a letter-rip kind of guy, and I think that opinions should be formed from the forge of strong debate. That's how you sharpen the iron of our democracy, our Republican form of government, through letting it rip through debate, the kind of thing that Twitter doesn't understand and Facebook doesn't understand and Joe Biden is now trying to crack down on even further. But to Kristen Cinema, she gave a 20-minute speech on the Senate floor about the divisions in America and how passing monumental legislation – questionably constitutional, questionably constitutional overhaul of our election system on the thinnest of a majority by a 50 – by, by basically a, 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 a one or, or, two, or, or two vote margin, by a 49 to 50 or a tie-breaking. It might even have been having to have a tie-breaking vote cast by Kamala Harris. yeah. Yeah, like the Van Allen album. Exactly right, Bill. It might have been a 51-50 vote. 
which can happen. That's 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 how Chuck Schumer, by the way, is the head of the Senate by a fifty-one fifty Van Halen ethics, Van Halen politics, and it just seems to me, if people thought Joe Biden was the real deal once upon a time, or even in the twenty twenty election, or the thirty-five percent of the country that thinks he's doing a good job, if if they think that, and if they support his false and ersatz claims to bipartisanship and speaking civilly, the kind of stuff he said at McCain's funeral, the kind of stuff he said in his inaugural, the kind of stuff that is betrayed by his actions and his statements, most recent of which were at his press conference this week and his speech in Georgia last week. But if that's what they want, if that's what they say they want, if that is what they are serious about wanting, bipartisanship, consensus, not making an enemy of your opponent, invoking what Jefferson said in his first inaugural. How did he put it? Not every difference of opinion is a difference of principle. We're all Republicans. We're all Federalists. In other words, we're all Americans. Then the leader of the Democratic Party, if that's what they want, should be Kirsten Cinema. That 20-minute speech is an appeal to that. To that notion, that Jeffersonian notion, that notion people thought, I should say, were hoodwinked into thinking they were getting with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is long gone on this and many other things. And he had a chance to walk back what he said in Georgia. And he didn't take it. He had several chances, including at the press conference this week, and he didn't take it. There is someone who represents that perspective while still being as liberal as liberal can be. And that's Kirsten Cinema. But that's who the Democratic Party and the left are spending all their money going after. That's who they're going after. The person who truly does embrace and embody what people thought they were getting with Joe Biden. I don't want to spend money or time or effort trying to help Kirsten Cinema win re-election. I do support you calling her, sending her a note or a letter saying, Atta girl, and thank you, and you're not all alone, and you do have your supporters even temporarily. Bill Weld once said, you never know where your next coalition is going to come from. Charles Elliott, one of the famous presidents of Harvard, said in the campaign for excellence, no auxiliaries should be denied. Right now, that's if you want that in the Democratic Party, if you thought that's what you were going to get, healing, consensus building, not burning the house down, not torching your opponents, not calling them racist, not questioning their motives, which Joe Biden said was the ill of our democracy five times in John McCain's funeral and two times in his inaugural. If that's what you want, then you're running ads against the wrong person. You should be running ads for Kirsten Cinema. Bob and Payson, I'm running short on time, but I had to take you real quick. How are you, sir? Seth, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. I just got to thank you, sir. I, I, I grew up in an era where I didn't like rock and roll. I enjoyed the Beach Boys, the Everly Brothers, the Righteous Brothers, and things of that nature back in my time, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I listened to Meatballs. Get the bat was it get the bat out of bat out of hell, yeah, bat out of hell, right. I'll tell you what, I've never heard such fantastic instrumentals yeah. and vocals. Yeah. This guy was terrific. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was thank one you, of a kind. Thank you for turning. You bet. Thank you for turning me on to that. And by the way, I may vote for Kristen Cinema. Don't don't election. do that. Yeah, stay with me a little longer on that. We have a couple years to make that decision, Bob. Don't do that. But send her a nice note and say she ain't alone. Say Atta girl. Thanks for help. Thanks for help. Thanks for helping not overturn the Constitution on a strictly party line vote. Tell her that. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, coming to you live from our Guns Etc. studio, as we do every day. I was um, I was doing a little reading on Teddy Roosevelt, especially um, especially seeing now that a uh, monument to him and a statue of him was taken down in Washington, D.C. Slowly but surely, they can just do this, and it won't make much news. Make a little news. Not much. The less you know, the better, of course. Why? Well, Vaclav Havel put it really well, actually, in that famous 1978 essay of his I keep referring to, describing what it was like to live under communism in uh, Czechoslovakia. He writes, if the main pillar of the system is living a lie, then it is not surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth. This is why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. I do that again. If the main pillar of the system is living a lie, then it is not surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth. This is why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. Yeah, when people go about banning or shadow banning or censoring, or when Joe Biden goes to the corporate and commercial media and says you need to ferret out those that aren't telling the truth, does anyone actually just step back a moment and say what could possibly be the consequence if we don't? I mean, you know, never mind any self-doubt whatsoever that maybe we don't have a monopoly on the truth and maybe someone else's idea might be better. You look at COVID, everyone else's idea outside the government was better. But what is the harm? What is the harm? The harm to them is that the truth will reign. The truth will win. That's the harm they're trying to suppress. And it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. And be not afraid. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 